experience something that's happening dynamically and not engage our head. We're, we're there and we're there on some level, but we, we, don't, uh, we don't put our thinking cap on. And when you're in a class situation where there's some, whether it's a video or a, actually a human being, you know, it's a, something that you're being exposed to that requires some degree of thinking and you're not thinking, it can basically, if you will, go in one ear and out the other. But that passage says that the Lord opened her heart or her mind to understand what was being said. And those of you that have been in class with me <laughs> know you need all the help you can to understand what, what's being said. So this is what I would like you to do. Put your hand on your head and ask the Holy Ghost to open your mind so that you can understand what he wants you to understand. Father, we yield tonight to you. We thank you for your watch care today. It's a privilege and an honor to be able to gather in a space where your Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. So we commit this time to you. We ask you to move supernaturally as you see fit in this room and in the other places on this corner. For righteousness sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Glad to be with you. Um, I am going to talk to you a bit about Advent because that's what Pastor Barbie asked me to do. Um, but Advent in and of itself, really, I could probably just spend five minutes and just kind of run by it and that would be enough in terms of Advent so in a few moments I'm going to have Barbie share something about Advent and then I'm going to get to Advent at the end of where we are I don't I think it'll take us less than an hour but what I really feel like the Lord wants me to do is provide a context for Advent a broader context <clears throat> because what we tend to do here and what 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 many Christians tend to do about Advent, unless you happen to be part of a denomination or a church that participates in it much more fully, we tend to do this, I think. Oh, yeah, it's December, so we have four services that are involved with Advent. We go through four services, and we forget about it. And that's not wrong. I'm, I'm not going to speak to you in terms of right or wrong, but there, there are other ways to move to approaching Advent that are more engaged if you have a larger context for it. <clears throat> and really what I want to try and sow into your lives uh, tonight is to, to provide you with some tools that can help you with, with one of the things that I think is, it, the, the older I get and the more I walk this out, I'm, I'm becoming, I, I continue to become more and more aware of the critical need for God's presence at work in our lives and for us to be aware of God's presence in our lives. There's a lot of talk about God's presence in and out of the church. But one of the things we tend to do is we tend to lose awareness of his presence with us. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but this is the way I, this is the way I mean this. 
How many of you have an experience when something takes place, whether it's a problem or an issue or a tragedy or something you've lost or, or some, some, some circumstance that's kind of thrown you off kilter and you go through step one, step two, step three, step four to try and write that and then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, how come I didn't pray? Or, or how come I didn't call on the Lord? If I ask for a show of hands, yeah, I see a couple in the back. Yeah, if I were to ask for a show of hands, everybody's hand would go up. Now, I should have called on the Lord. Well, the reason that happens in my life is because I'm not carrying the awareness that he's with me like I need to. So I think scripture provides some tools to deal with that, and that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight before we uh, close looking more specifically at Advent. So I want to read two scriptures make a couple of comments, and then I'm going to ask Pastor Barbie to do something in uh, Psalm 16, uh, you probably ought to note this if you're a note-taker. Psalm 16, verse, 17, uh, verse 11, this is, this is how we usually use this verse. In thy presence is fullness of joy, at thy right hand is pleasures forevermore. That's right, but that's not the whole verse. The verse actually starts with, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the psalmist is saying, you are leading me to a place where joy and pleasure forevermore are available to me. That's what the whole verse says. The psalmist says, you, you show me a corridor. You give me an avenue. You provide a pathway for me to get into your presence where joy and pleasure forevermore is. Are you breathing? So the psalmist is saying, the way I get into your presence, you show me. Now, in the 23rd Psalm, in verse 3 of the 23rd Psalm, I know it, but I want to read it. Same guy, David. He says, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now, David said in Psalm 16, in, you, you provide a path that leads me into your presence. And then in Psalm 23, same man says the same thing. He says... Oh, I missed it. Where'd I go? You lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now, David is saying in one place that the path the Lord provides into joy and pleasure forevermore is orchestrated or opened up by the Holy Ghost. In another place, he's saying, you're opening up the same path to me, and even if I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are with me. 
You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to go here. <clears throat> we acknowledge the Lord's with us when everything's working really well. And we call on him to show up and help us when things are really bad. Now, what the psalmist says, in both of those uh, passages, in the Psalm 16 passage and Psalm 23 passage, he says, the pathway that you have opened for me into your presence leads to fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, and it may lead into the valley of the shadow of death. But I know you're with me. Now, there's where the rub is, saints. Because we lose sight of or lose track of or lose awareness of the fact that he is with us anytime we're willing to acknowledge he's there. You, you, you see the rub? We acknowledge him and go, praise God, you won't believe. I just got a raise. Hallelujah. She said she loved me. We're going to get engaged. You, you, I got a tax check back from the IRS. And we're all over that, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. David says, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are with me because your rod and your staff comfort me. So he's prepared to call on the Lord because he knows the Lord is there, period, regardless of the circumstances that he's in. Now, I'm using that to jump in, and we'll, we'll go somewhere with that, but I, I just wanted to use that as a preamble. <clears throat> I've asked Barbie, come, would you? There's a, there's a book. It's actually noted on the bottom that sheet. She's going to read um, basically a testimony about Advent from the author of this book. Uh, I asked her to look at it and read through it and see what she thought, if it seemed appropriate. She loved it. I loved it. I knew she would love it. And I love the way she reads. So now I put pressure okay. on you. Do you want me? I, can you handle both these? I thought about that. I don't that. know. It's kind of tough. No, no, no. I mean, that's, you've got to turn pages. I'm I know. good. Okay. <laughs> Throughout my life, it has been my good fortune to experience the story of Jesus with every turning of every year. The number of the years of my unfolding age is also the number of times I've traveled with my Lord from his birth to his death to his triumphant rising again. And because the story has been more than told to me, because it has surrounded me like a weather, because it comprehends me as a, as a house does its inhabitants or a mother does her child, the life of Christ has shaped mine. My very being has been molded in him. And because my response to this story has been more than an act of mind, more than study and scrutiny, because the story invites my entering in and my personal participation, because I have experienced the life of Christ with deeper intensity than I have my own daily affairs, the gospel story now interprets for me the world's story. It is through the gospel narrative, as through a window or a template, that I see all things, that I relate to them and come to know them. In every sense of the phrase, I find myself in Jesus. As I enter his story, I enter him. As his life embraces mine, he embraces me and I am his. 
But how has this story come to me with such size and force these 55 years? No single person has been responsible, nor, nor only the people of this present age. Rather, it is the gift of a vast communion of worshiping Christians, saints of many ages, many lands and many tongues, countless talents, all expressing the one faith founded upon the life of Christ. It is the gift of the church, ancient and contemporary. For the church past has bequeathed to the church present a grand theatric, a drama, as it were, which takes six months to enact, December into May. There is no audience and all are actors, and this play, rather than representing something different from itself, actually contains and communicates the truth. For its protagonist is the Lord Jesus, and the Lord is always present within his word. And the Lord is truth. In my own ecclesiastic tradition, the divine drama is given conscious focus in our worship services. Each Sunday service involves all the people in a new episode of the story of the life of Christ. It involves the people. For the Bible reading brings before us new details and the holy affirmation that this is holy and in all its parts the word of God. And music persuades our mood, our emotions, and our voices to join in. And the preaching elaborates and the building itself becomes a stage arranged with symbolic furniture for serious action. Water washings, eatings and drinkings, risings and fallings. But even as the drama is real, so is the stage a real meeting place between the hero and the rest of the players. Between, that is, the Christ and the Christian who have not come as a passive audience, but as actors uttering their real lines in songs and prayer, in creed and spontaneous expressions of sorrow or joy, amen and hallelujah. Each Sunday service, as I've said, involves the people in a new episode, but all together, all the Sundays, weave the entire drama of Jesus into something like five acts. I have been one of those people so fiercely involved. This is the way that I have been shaped, and these are the acts that have driven my whole person so dramatically close to Jesus. Act 1, Advent. Before the hero enters, people anticipate his coming. Old promises are remembered. New promises are made. Excitement sparks and burns in the hearts of the players. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, you, me, the children. Daily the excitement blazes hotter and hotter until we can scarcely stand it. Who is coming? What is his name? What will he be like? What's he going to do? People prepare. Christians examine themselves. They clean up their lives, interior and exterior, making themselves ready to meet the hero at his coming. So kindled are many emotions that good hearts break into song, both in heaven and on earth, waiting, waiting for Act Two, Christmas. Enter the hero as a baby. No, not in power, nor in any trappings of royalty or heroism that the world can recognize, but exactly as any one of us has come, weak and needy. 
Through the, though the angels sing and the heavens conjoin one bright declarative light. The event itself, the divine, completely human birth, occupies the attention of all players, parents and shepherds and evangelists and you and me and the children, and we rejoice. Act three, epiphany. Time to meet the hero, discover what sort of person he is and why he's come. On the day of epiphany itself, we make our meeting by joining the magi of the East. Ah, this is what he is. He's a king after all, deserving of worship, but not a king like Herod, wielding power. The Sundays of this third act continue in verbal explanations and in wonderful events to reveal the character and the nature of Jesus, baptized the Son of God, a teacher both sublime and confident of his own authority, a miracle worker, and yet again when his face ignites like the sun, the beloved the Son of God, and we marvel. Act four is Lent, and now the hero goes to work. Conflict is engaged. Christ, holy human and altogether divine, encounters Satan and sin and sickness and ignorance and death. He tells us what is to happen to him, though we with Peter resist the plan, unable to accept his suffering and his dying, forces spiritual and political rise up against him. Tensions grow impossible. Conflict increases. Something, something is about to happen. Then all horrors refine themselves into a terrible simplicity as we with Jesus suffer the climax of the story of his life and of our gospel. During that one week called holy, we suffer with the sufferings of Jesus. The Thursday night of his new commandment, the Friday when he dies, the Saturday of unutterable gloom. Oh no, the play cannot end here, can it? If the story of Jesus ends now, so must all meaning in the world and all hope our faith would be in vain. Act 5, Easter but Sunday explodes with an altogether different climax wherever Good Friday was dark. Easter Sunday is bright with divine laughter and a life that death cannot destroy. Jesus rises from the dead. We who died with him are granted blazing proofs that we shall also rise with him. And this particular Sunday is only the first of his act, for now we follow the risen hero as he makes himself apparent to many disciples. And we ourselves experience the effect of these appearings, for the disciples then represent Christians now. Forty days later, as Luke counted the days of Jesus on earth, and as our drama enacts them, we gather to watch Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father, promising yet to return for us. And on the final day of this act, the final day of the whole play, the 50th day since Jesus arose and the 10th since he ascended, we gather again with the apostles on Pentecost. Can you hear the wind? Do you see the tongues of flame on the heads of those who utter the word, who proclaim the gospel? You tell the story again this year. Of course you do. <clears throat> That's a testimony of uh, a 
of someone who has not only owned his relationship to Jesus, but he's, he's actively moved in such a way where he's let God's presence um, not only identify, but work in him on an ongoing day-in, day-out basis. <clears throat> See, redemption, <laughs> redemption works with anything that we will lay before the Lord to redeem. Redemption, we, we make the term redemption so singular when we make it about our salvation. I'm redeemed, saved, <clears throat> delivered. But redemption, connected with sanctification, redemption is anything that needs redeeming that we're willing to put in the master's hands. And what I'm really going to address for the next little while is, uh, is a way to redeem the time. See, when I said sort of in the opening that what I, what I hope to do is provide some tools or, or some, some precepts that might help you to become more aware of his presence actively at work in your life. The reason I'm saying that is on a, on a personal level. I am a desperate man. I'm a needy child of God. <clears throat> I need him to keep saving me, not that my salvation leaks out. I need him to keep sanctifying me. I need, I need him to keep meeting me where I am. Not at my point of need that I'm aware of. I need for him to keep meeting me where I am, wherever I am, whenever I am. Whether I know that I need him there or not. That's why I'm desperate. So anything that, I can, that I've been able to find or the Lord's been able to put in my path, anything that can help me hook in or lock in or focus in on things of the kingdom, become enablers in my life to go, his presence is here, his presence is here, his presence is here. See, when David said in Psalm 23, um, <clears throat> though you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm okay with that because I know you're with me. Watch. If David is saying, I know you're with me, then David knows that he's with the Lord. You understand? It's two sides of the same coin. Saying, oh, Lord, I need you to be with me. If the Lord's with you, then you're with the Lord, which gets back to Psalm 16. In that presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand is pleasures forevermore. If you want that joy and you want pleasures forevermore, you have to be where he is, and you have to be also willing to go where he leads you that you may not want to go, i.e., the valley of the shadow of death. So if the wheels come off your wagon, your life wagon, and what you find yourself doing is rebuking the devil every place you can, and the wheels don't go back on your wagon, then maybe your focus is wrong. Maybe, maybe the issue is not getting out of the uncomfortable place. Maybe it's realizing that God is in the middle of that place with you. I'm supposed to be teaching. but <laughs> yeah. Okay. The sheet that you have, I've, I've titled this, I need, felt like I need to title it something. I've titled Seasons of the Soul. Let me explain to you why. We're going to deal with time management for a few minutes. I'm going to give you a biblical grounding. And I'm, I'm, I'm basically providing a context to set Advent down in the middle of, which we will get to, okay? In Psalm 31, 15a, 
My times are in your... Oh, actually, I want to read that because there's another line in that verse, I think. Psalm 31. 15, yeah, actually 14 and 15. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. 14 and the first half of 15 are obviously a confession of someone whose heart is given to the Lord. He's acknowledging God as his sovereign. And he's saying, my times are in your hands. Now, uh, the word times in the Hebrew language is the word seasons, which is why I'm calling this seasons of the soul. I'm, I'm dealing, I want to deal with how we manage our time for a little while, but I'm giving you a scriptural grounding. <clears throat> the psalmist there is saying, my times, my seasons are in your hands. Now, there are any number of ways to n- mark seasons or i.e. times. We can mark seasons like we do on the calendar with summer, fall, winter, and spring. We can mark seasons in the church we do this. I'm going through a season. I'm in a season right now. We, we don't even have to fill that in. We say that so much to one another when we say I'm just going through a season. None of us, very rarely, would we go, well, what kind of season are you in? We understand you're basically saying I'm going through something, whether it's something good or something bad. And we refer to it as seasons. Now, you can also go through seasons of life. You're, you're an infant. You're an adolescent. You're a teenager. You're a young adult. <laughs> you're an old adult, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, until you go the way of all the world, all the earth. <clears throat> as seasons are moving, the psalmist is saying, everything that I'm passing through in my life, my times are in your hand. So what he's saying is he's saying unconditionally, whatever I'm going through. Could you say whatever I'm going through, please? Whatever I'm going through is in your hands because I'm acknowledging you are my God. It's basically a variation on Romans 8.28. You see the connection. If, if we're going to say all things are working for the good of those that love Christ, love God, and are called according to his purpose, if we're going to say that, We have to realize that we are going to be tested as to whether we actually believe that or not. It's really a very popular verse in Scripture, but I don't know about you guys, but often I've wanted to take a black magic marker and just go to, you know, and just do this and go, well, now I don't have to read that anymore. But the problem is if I mark it in my Bible, somebody, so one of you is going to come up and whether you say it to me or not, I'm going to hear you saying it to somebody. Because we use that verse a lot. But my point here is this. I'm gonna, this is all tying into talking about Advent. But my point is this. We say that, but we don't act like we mean it. And the psalmist says, my times, all of my times, all the seasons of my life are in your hand. So I need to deal with that appropriately. Then in um, Psalm 90 verse 12, Moses, this is a prayer of Moses, teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. The word days there is not a complicated thing. It basically means from sun up to sundown. So Moses is actually identifying what we would call a a day, a 24-hour block of time, whereas David has identified all the seasons of his life. So David is talking in a broad sense, and he's saying all of my life, all of the seasons of my life are in your hands. And Moses in Moses' prayer in Psalm 90 is the days, the increments of my seasons, the, the, 
the category, the, the groupings of the days of my life that make up the seasons of my life. In that, teach us to number them. Teach us to, teach us to be good stewards of clock time. If I make you uncomfortable, just smile. <laughs> See, there are, there are a number of things. Breathing, for example. All human beings breathe. If you're not breathing, you're not here. Okay? But all human beings don't breathe the same amount of breaths because of size. You know, some people over the course of their life, I'm not talking about when you die, but I mean over the course of living, some people breathe more in a 24-hour period than other people do because of their lung capacity and what, what kind of energy they exert. You know, um, uh, an athlete that trains for marathon, that runs marathons, breathes a whole lot. Well, actually, if he's training, he's breathing less, isn't he? Because <laughs> you're in and out intake. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. I know I can lose you, but it'll be okay. I'm aware that I'm doing that. We all breathe so that we have that in common, but we don't all breathe the same way. But there is one measurement for every human being from the garden till the sky splits and Jesus comes back. It's the same for everybody. And it's tick, 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 tick. Because in the course of a 24-hour day, every moment that you have spent is the same for everybody else that's been on the earth that day. So how David spends his time and how Jesse spends his time in Africa are all accountable time based on a 24-hour day. So it's a leveler. We, we've all got accountability with our time management. That's what I meant when I said if I'm making you uncomfortable because some of you are wiggling your toes. I'm not, I'm not addressing right or wrong, and I don't know how you spent your time, but we're going to look at this in the context of how we manage our time. Now, there are fundamentally two kinds of times for Christians. Let me put a little parenthesis here. In, in the narrative that Barbie just read, um, Walter Wangren, it's, it's noted in the bottom of your sheet. There's two books there. You'll, you'll see it when you go home. He made a comment. She read a comment. He said, the Bible narrative interprets my view of the world. This is free. This is a parenthesis. I'm going off my own book. In order to have a Bible narrative that interprets the world you, live, you and I live in, you have to become Bible friendly. Otherwise, your world will be interpreted by talk radio or YouTube or social media or the people that you meet at Walmart or the movies you go to or the music you listen to. Are the movie stars you're drawn to. Your life will be interpreted by what narrative you're drawing from. You cannot have a biblical narrative interpreting your life as a saint unless you are being biblical in how you're interpreting life. Do I have to? <clears throat> to the degree, um, you are what you eat. You know the phrase? You are what you eat. Out with a bad air, in with a good air. If, if the data that comes into our lives is predominantly something other than God's word, it will interpret how the world works for us. 
which is a time management issue. Because if you fill your time up, I shouldn't say fill your time up. If some of the time, I'm not saying what you need to do is walk around with a Bible in your hand and go, I can't talk to you right now because I'm memorizing the book of Isaiah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I'm saying if the input that you have is consistently higher from the world than it is from the Holy Ghost through the Word of God, you are going to have a problem in terms of how you see the world. And you can work that on out, and you can go, okay, we're in Advent at Springhouse, and in four weeks it'll be over, and I won't have to think about it anymore. And I can guarantee you the book that she was reading, the, the author that wrote that book, doesn't think about Advent that way. That's why he could be that expressive. Of course, he's artistic in terms of how he uses language. I understand that. There's a gifting there. But he said in that, I'm paraphrasing some of what Barbie was reading, he said, it shaped my life. He's saying these seasons, these days in my life have been shaped by the movement and the ebb and flow and the up and down and the in and out of the Holy Ghost working in me and through me. That all has to do with my times are in your hands. Okay, now, close parentheses. <clears throat> Since I have the mic, I'm going to do this and divide it this way. There, there are functionally two kinds of time. There's sacred time. Sacred time would be time that's brought under the ebb and flow and the sway of the Holy Ghost. They would be sacred events. Uh, a wedding would be a sacred time. Congregational gathering should be a sacred time. Um, praying in your secret place should be a sacred time. Communion should be a sacred time. Funerals should be sacred times. Baby birthing should be sacred. You, you, you with me? You know, a, a God encounter in the middle of a, a desert, any desert, or your backyard for that matter. Sacred time, sacred encounter is a way that time is redeemed in the context of being sacred as opposed to secular time. And this is, it's, it's stated more succinctly in the notes that I gave you in this handout. But in terms of what I'm, where I'm headed with this, you, you basically have a delineation. Are you living with a sense of the sacred, i.e., a sense of the presence of God at work in your life to help the time be redeemed as being sacred? Did that, did that, do I need to say that another way? To, to the degree that you were aware that God's presence is active in your life, the time, clock time, tick, 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 that you're living becomes redeemed time, redemptive time, and therefore it becomes sacred because you're actively moving around in the presence of the Lord. This is what you wouldn't do. Gee, where is God when I need him? You, that statement would not happen if you were operating in sacred time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, I know you're with me. <sighs> Hold on. Okay. okay. We're okay. <clears throat> when Jonah ends up in the belly of the whale, Jonah's thr thrown out of the boat. He sinks down. He, he, he's drowning in the ocean. He's drowning. Say drowning. He's drowning in the ocean. There's no way out. And the Lord provides a big fish. 
I love that movie. Uh, <laughs> provides a big fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah thinks he's going to drown. End of conversation. You know the story, but it would be great if you went back and read the book of Jonah. It's fabulous if you read it slowly. He thinks he's drowning. So the fish rescues him. The fish becomes his deliverance. He's, he's, he's now in the belly of a fish. There's no candle. It's not like a Disney movie. Okay. There's no candle. He's in the belly of a fish with whatever else the fish has eaten. So it's not a pleasant place. And it's pitch black. And that's where he is. If you read Jonah, you'll find out that that space, when he's in that space, it becomes his sanctuary. It becomes a secret place. It becomes a sacred place because that's where he prays prayers of thanksgiving for the fact that he didn't drown. The fish is his means of deliverance from drowning so that God can get his attention and Job straightens up in the belly of the fish and then he's vomited out to go do what God called him to do before he started running away. Sacred time overwhelms him because he's caught with the fact that he's in the presence of the Lord in the belly of a fish. And we have trouble finding the presence of the Lord when we have a flat tire in our driveway when we're on our way to work in the morning. Y'all look too stone-faced. That was funny. I thought that was funny. Thank you. I needed that. <clears throat> Romans 14, 12, uh, which is noted under sacred time in your, in your notes, says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This ties back in with my times are in your hands. This ties back in with teach us to number our days that we might present to you hearts of wisdom. We are held accountable for time management. Then in Colossians 3.17, also related to sacred time, this is, one of, this is a life verse with, for me. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible, and I have stopped more times than I can count with a black magic marker wanting to scratch through it. It says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus to the glory of God. I've tried every way I know of to take the phrase, whatever you do in word or deed, and make it mean something than whatever you do in word or deed. And I cannot find a way. It, it covers if you're breathing, you're here. And if you're here, everything you do in word or deed has the potential to be sacred in the name of Jesus, glorifying God or not. Now, uh, how do I do this? I need you. Come. Jump quickly, quickly. I can't use another wife because you're the only one I've got. <clears throat> now, walk, walk with me. If we're together, no, let's not be that close. Let's be this close. Okay. If we're together and we're going somewhere and she's with me and I have the potential to go here and I know that if I go here, it's going to be problematic for my relationship to her. 
You with me? Would I go here if she's with me when I know going here is going to be a potentially a, a create a breach between me and her? Would I go here? Okay. Would I would I go here and start an inappropriate conversation with Jill with my wife standing here? So, go away. <laughs> so, now that my wife is not here, is there a possibility that I might have an inappropriate... I, I, I'm not going to have an inappropriate conversation <laughs> with Jill. <laughs> my, life is full of, my life is full of metaphors. Just join me for a little while longer. <clears throat> the potential for me to have an inappropriate conversation with Jill is diminished if Jean is still here with me. To the degree that she's nowhere around, the potential for me to do more than just have an inappropriate conversation exists. Okay, now pick a subject. I don't know wherever you went in your mind when I'm doing this male-female thing, but just pick a subject. Are there things you say and things you look at and places you go and activities you're involved with that you would not do if the Lord were walking there with, with his, your hand with him? The answer to that is, of course. Of course. Well, then why do we do those things? We do those things because we're not cognitively, cognitively aware that his presence is where we say it is, which is, I am the temple of the living God. I am a living sanctuary. He is in me. If we mean that, then the awareness of his presence would diminish our movement toward unrighteousness, saints. God. In other words, we would pursue righteous living and holiness and uprightness and purity and biblical kingdom, um, a biblical, biblically kingdom lifestyle if we were walking around thinking, not, not in a judgment way like, oh, God's going to get me. No, 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 no. But he's with me. Go back to Gene and me and Jill. Right? Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to violate my relationship with Jean because I think she's going to pop me upside the head with a frying pan. She wouldn't do that because we don't have a frying pan big enough. We, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to honor my covenant relationship with Jean because I love her. And I love him. And we love him. So having a biblical narrative in our lives so that our times are redeemed and we're presenting to him hearts of wisdom are all connected with how we understand his presence being with us, which is how I started in Psalm 16. So real quickly. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Secular time sort of speaks for itself. It's the way time is measured by people and organizations and cultures and societies that don't have a clue about God or don't care about God where it's insignificant and irrelevant. Secular time is not bad time. It's not evil time. It's not driven by the pit of hell. It's just not sacred. 
I tend to bounce around when I'm doing this because of the way the Holy Ghost, that's just the way I'm wired. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made just like you are. Okay? <clears throat> when the body of Christ rants and raves and yells and screams about the way motion pictures are made and what the scripts are and how the people look and what they're promoting, when we do that, we're acting like we all have bananas for brains. Because they're un, by and large, they're unbelievers. By and large, they're secular people. By and large, they're pagans or heathens. That's what the Bible would call. You know, Sunday when Pastor Ronnie was talking about people coming in, and he was saying, bring a sinner with you, find a sinner. We was talking about the movie next week and so forth. We all here Sunday? Do you remember him doing that? He said it like five or six times. Some people probably in the room got uncomfortable because he's referring to sinners. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying bring some sinners because we're not sinners. What he was really saying is bring some other sinners besides yourself. But he didn't clarify because we all understood that. He was saying bring some people that aren't believers. That's really what he was saying. Okay? Well, why, why, do, we, why do we expect the entertainment industry that has no interest or concern or guilt or anxiety at all about honoring the value system that we carry as Christians, why are we upset that they're being exactly who they are? They're not supposed to make movies that we think are biblically sound. That's not what they're doing. Well, in the same fashion, secular time isn't measured by anything that we put a value system to. Let me give you an example. Okay, we value Easter for what it is because of what it is for us as Christians, right? Well, how did the Easter bunny get connected to that? And if anybody's sitting here going, oh, no, you're not going to talk about me and my kids hunting Easter eggs. I'm not doing that. Do whatever you feel like you should do in the Lord. I'm, it's not for me. I'm not, I'm not condemning Easter egg hunting. I'm asking you biblically how you can connect up a bunny rabbit and Easter eggs with the Easter story in your Bible. If you can chapter and verse that, then we'll have something to talk about. But we all know you can't. So the secularization of Easter works out in such a way that we find within the body of Christ Oh, Jesus. That we participate in things that we absolutely know we don't believe in biblically. I'm not, please, 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 don't shout me down. I, if, if you're raising your kids going out in the front yard and, you know, dressing up in, in Easter bunny costumes, that's, 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 between, that's between you and your Savior. See, I'm smiling. But what we do is we don't allow ourselves to move over into a place of sacredness in terms of time management. So consequently, we distance ourselves from the presence of God. Well, Pastor, are you saying God won't show up when we're decorating Easter eggs? I didn't say that at all, so don't put that in my mouth. That should have been funny too. But you could put the egg in my mouth, but not the statement. <clears throat> The division line between sacred and secular time for a Christian really should disappear. From a kingdom standpoint, in terms of a biblical ethic, what we really should do is we should be carrying and activating and pronouncing and discerning the sacred in such a way that, we, that the line between sacred and secular is blurred. But 
we got a long way to go to get to there. And, and the way we get to there is you get to there and you get to there and you get to there and you eight get to there and the six of us get to there. See, and individually and collectively. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? We can become it. We, we, we can become a church that upholds things of the kingdom, not in a uh, 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 self-righteous way, not in a condescending way, but in a way where the narrative of the Bible interprets the world for us. And what we do is we activate life based on the Bible. Now, in the context of secular and sacred time, depending upon how you view that, there's the concept of tradition. I'm, I'm turning a corner here, and we'll get to why we came together or why you thought you came. This was all free. The concept of tradition can be keyed into time. There are things that we do that are based on tradition that take place in time. The Boston Marathon is a tradition. Uh, the World Series is a tradition. Um, what's that? Don't shout me down. I'm looking in Scott's direction. There'd be others to ask. What's? Please don't shout me down. No, no. What's the? What, no, no. Stop. 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 Yeah. Right. 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 What's the? What's the college basketball thing? March Madness, yeah, yeah, this, I, I know what it is. I just couldn't think of the term. March Madness is a tradition. You know, I suppose we could move March Madness to July, but everybody would flip out and go, no, no, it's got to happen in March. Pumpkin pie is a tradition for Thanksgiving. Well, it is if you remember to put your shirt. No, no. <laughs> Was that you that yelled Super Bowl? Okay, yeah, yes, yeah, okay, sorry, sorry. This, this, yeah, tongue and cheek. Tradition in and of itself is neither sacred or secular. It just, it, it depends on what it is and what value we give to it. So there are traditions that we function with. I'll give you an example. Uh, Jean and I, well, Jean kind of married into it because she married me. For the last, uh, gee, what? My goodness. Well, we've been married almost 34 years but I started before she showed up. So as a family for the last, as long, for the last 34 years, we raised both our kids every Christmas Eve, providing they were in the house, and they were most of those years. We watched It's a Wonderful Life. Now, why you all don't do that, I cannot understand. But if you come to our house on the 24th of December, I can tell you what you'll be doing. You, can, you don't have to stay, but if you're going to stay, you're going to watch that movie. That's a tradition. <laughs> Well, that, that varies. We're not, we're, not that quite, we're not quite that legalistic. It's 7 o'clock. No, no, no. No popcorn for you. And, and, and we have traditions in our life, in and out of the church, secular or, or sacred. And the way we approach those traditions, in, in other words, what value we put on them, uh, establishes how important we think they are. Now, the components of the calendar of the Christian year, which is what we're going to look at for the next few minutes, one of those components is Advent. And Advent in and of itself is not in your Bible. So you could say to me, well, you keep talking about being biblical, and now you're going to talk to us about something that takes place that's not in the Bible. 
If it's not in the Bible, it doesn't mean that it can't be moved into a place of being sacred. Because the events related to Advent are in the Bible. The mechanics of what Advent is about are all scripturally based. The tradition of it, I can't say it's unbiblical. It would be extra biblical. It's outside of the Bible. But it can be brought into the Bible to the degree that you're willing to give yourself to it as a sacred act or a sacred season or four sacred events during 52 Sundays of a year. See, I told you we were going to go to Advent. You just didn't believe me. Okay, the calendar of the Christian year is a tradition within the church, and I'm, I'm not going to go into the history of all this because it's, it's, gonna, it's dry and boring, and I told you we wouldn't be, we'd be around an hour. The calendar of the Christian year is a way of marking time from a sacred standpoint as opposed to a secular standpoint. I'll give you a, a, a real specific um, uh, example. In a secular context, the way our calendars are driven, have you all noticed in the last 15 years how many calendar events that commemorate stuff that used to not be there happen? Thank you, Hallmark. Every, everybody that's over 10 years old, you know, it's, it's astounding. There's an, you know... It, Today is the day to celebrate the second cousin twice removed on your mother's side. And, and all of those events, each one of those events, whatever, the grandparents' day, grandparents' day. I'm a grandparent. I mean, that's, that's, I mean that, I'm, I'm sure that's wonderful for grandparents. How did all the people that had been grandparents before Hallmark started printing up cards, how did they function with that grandparents' day? You know, Black Friday is a tradition. Now, Black Friday's turned into a week. In fact, you know, if you watch the, the, the news and so forth, if you see the stats about what's happened, apparently a, a whole lot of the Black Friday sales started about six weeks ago. So Black Friday was down because people started buying Black Friday stuff before Black Friday got here. And I think the pastor may have said, I, I can't, somebody said that, you know, we're going to look up and we'll have a Black Friday month. Which, when, is it December? No, it's November. November will become a Black Friday month. And there'll be certain cards and be costumes and there'll be a Black Friday month party you can go to. And all of that stuff is worked into a secular calendar and we may or may not participate with it. Well, a Christian calendar marks time in such a way that you take specific events from the life of Christ or from biblical narrative and you build those into your life as a tool, as a, as a catalyst so that you can nurture his presence and nurture the sacred and nurture an awareness of the fact that he's with us all the time, T-I-M-E, time, clock time, not supernatural stuff in, in the here and now. We, we don't have to have a burning bush to have him with us. Oh, that should be a song, <clears throat> Barbie. Okay, the Christian calendar has basically two cycles to it. It has a cycle of light and a cycle of life, and I've noted them in your, uh, on your sheet. The, the cycle of um, light is Advent, Epiphany, Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. 
Advent, in terms of language, Advent means coming. It means anticipation. It means looking forward to. And the origin of Advent, well, it actually came through the Roman church, but the, but the origin of Advent had to do with the expectancy, to, the, the acknowledgement of the expectancy for Christ to come into the earth in bodily form. And it's morphed over the centuries so that there are really two components of Advent. There's the looking for his coming, acknowledging his coming, manger, star, Bethlehem, room at the inn, all of that. And it's, it's meld together with his second coming the coming of Christ returning. So you have his bodily coming as a child and you have his, his sovereign coming as king of kings, as lord of lords, when he splits the sky and comes back and writes, sets everything right and the fullness of his kingdom is ushered in. World without end, hallelujah. Okay? So <clears throat> Advent sets the stage for the season that leads us up through Christmas and Christmas, Christmas then moves through into an epiphany into epiphany. Epiphany means the manifestation or the seeing of. And historically, what happened there was it was an acknowledgement of the events in Jesus' early life that established the seeing of him, the knowing of him. What happened in not only his infancy, but as he was growing up, that, that's, an, that's the epiphany time. The, mani- the manifesting of Jesus, not just showing up in the manger but the process that worked out from there. That's the cycle of light. Then the cycle of life is uh, Lent. <clears throat> Lent is a time of preparation. It, it may or may not be a time of self-denial, but it, it has to do with a preparation of, of a, a conscious preparation of ordering yourself and your home and your life, your temple, if you will, in preparation for moving into Holy Week which Barbie was addressing in the, in, the, in the reading that she was doing. And Holy Week, Palm Sunday, and then the events of Holy Week leading up to Good Friday and then Easter. And then moving from there into Pentecost. And Pentecost, you know, uh, out the other side, the, the back side of Easter, we hit Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. So all of those events, I'm just rolling through this, all, all of those events, the advent of Christ coming, <clears throat> the epiphany of seeing him present and active on the earth, the preparation that happened prior to Passion Week leading from Palm Sunday into Easter, death, burial, and resurrection, as Elder Rodney would say, and then moving from there out forward to, to Pentecost and the, the, uh, the presence of the Holy Ghost showing up and becoming available to those that receive Jesus. All of those events, everything I just mentioned, is in your Bible. So, it's, so they're biblical. They're not made up. Between Genesis and Revelation, you'll, you'll find all those events. So in the calendar of the Christian year, what happens is those events become, what would I call it? They become hooks. They become corridors. They become, well, to be, to be biblical about it from an Old Testament standpoint, they become Ebenezer's. An Ebenezer, for those of you that don't know, when something would happen in Scripture in the Old Testament and they needed to, they needed to identify what had happened, so that they, uh, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a, a visible, tangible scrapbook. <laughs> it's a selfie. <laughs> 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 
and they were usually stones. It didn't have to be stones, but what they would do is they would, they would put a marker down somewhere. And then when they passed by it or when the generations after them passed by it, and they go, that's funny. Well, how did those stones get here? What you would do is you would recite or give testimony to why the stones were there, marking the event that had happened. So they became, uh, it, 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 Ebenezer basically means glory so far or to hear the Lord has blessed us. We can identify that, right? We, you know, if, we, if, if I pull this chair out and set it here and some, something... Uh, Mark was in it, and we had a healing service, and Mark had some really difficult bodily uh, disease or something, and the Lord supernaturally healed him. And we chose to take that chair and set that chair over in the corner of the room and put Mark's name on it and put the date on it when it happened. And go, that Somebody said, why is that chair there? That's an Ebenezer. There was an event happened in this church in, with, with a brother sitting in that chair, and we've marked it so we can identify it. Well, in the calendar of the Christian year, these categories of... Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, uh, Lent, uh, Holy Week, Easter, and Pentecost. They're all, if you will, calendar epiphanies based on biblical reality that can become catalysts in our lives to think about Jesus being involved with us. So, Advent is as big a deal as you want to make it. If, if the people in Springhouse, if all we do is sing, uh, have carols by candlelight, sing some carols during uh, the four Sundays of Advent, and Pastor brings four Advent services uh, messages, that's fine, that's terrific. But if you want to make more out of that, or we want to make more out of that, we certainly can. There's a lot of Christians that do. There's a whole lot more Christians that don't, that don't have a clue what the Christian calendar is. And Barbie asked me to share on Advent because. She wanted me to, I guess. Holy Ghost told her to. <clears throat> the point of all of this, saints, is what I started out by saying. <clears throat> you show me the path of righteousness, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The path of the righteous is shown to us by the Holy Ghost. We don't stumble onto it, saints. And men and women of God, brothers and sisters of God, saints of old, have used m most of what I've just addressed to you for generations to belt them in, you know, like an umbil umbil umbilical, umbilical cord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. to link us in to the kingdom here. And, and what I said earlier, I'm a desperate man. I'm a desperate child of God. I, I, I need any tool or any asset or any component that I can uh, hook myself to to keep me. I know I'm on the rock. I know I'm in Christ. You, you understand? I'm saved and I know it, but I need to know it more. And see, to, to the degree that you do this, and, and the reason we're doing this now, it's because we're in Advent. The, the reason this stuff is potentially important to you in your lives is this. It will stabilize you so that you're not blown left and right by all of this data that's coming at us that's unbiblical. Get a clue. 
when the information that comes to you is coming to you by, through people that aren't keyed into the kingdom, it may be factual, but it won't it probably isn't true. Pastor has said this often, but he said it a couple of weeks ago, and we get, the staff keeps and we keep hearing this pop up with people, and I've seen it pop up on uh, like, uh, Facebook several times. Because sometimes the way revelation hits, well, no, all the, all the time revelation hits. Revelation hits whenever the Holy Ghost wants it to happen for people that are open and ready and available to the revelation of the Lord. So you can, st you can stand up there. Well, uh, I'm using pastor as an example, but I'll do it as a worship pastor. We can sing a song for years and, you know, be four, five, eight, ten, twelve years down the road and people in a service circle, a lyric to a song are catching their spirit and all of a sudden some, some sense of revelation hits them. Well, when the revelation hits you that what you're believing isn't biblical, then you're ready for a change. And it has nothing to do with your salvation for those of us that are saved and everybody in this room is saved. But it will revolutionize your life so that you're not so bummed out. I'm, well, I can... I'm, I, uh, maybe y'all will forget I said this by Sunday, so it won't be an issue. Look. <laughs> the more you let the data from the world temper your life, the less likely you are to want to celebrate his goodness. To pray prayers that have fire in them. To want to lay hands on somebody and see something happen. Because the other stuff, the other data, the other information that's not biblically based, that's not sacred, will get on you and work its way in you. And worst case scenario, you'll find yourself oppressed and defeated. And then to, to a lesser degree, you'll find yourself fleshing out and doing stuff that's not sacred. I'm not using the word sin because I'm not addressing sin. You'll just do stupid stuff. And you'll catch yourself or the Holy Ghost to catch you on the other side and go, why did I? You know, Duh, I could have had a Jesus. Duh, I could have had a Holy Ghost. Duh, I could have had a chapter and verse. We're on the earth as saints to be salt and light. We're on the earth to be children of light, light set on a hill, discerning dark from light, exposing dark from light, dividing dark from light. <clears throat> and we can't do it if we're not sharp. If we're dull of spirit, we, we will not rise to the occasion when it's needed. What we'll do is we'll send an email to our pastor. And we'll go, can you help? 
or an elder, you know, or someone that you know is just so much more spiritually mature than you are. We're called to grow up into Christ. We're called to bear much fruit for his kingdom. We're called, Pastor alluded to this several times Sunday in a bunch of different ways, we're called to be representatives of a kingdom that we're living in now that most of the people that we meet during the course of a week outside of here aren't in. You remember uh, Pastor, uh, when he was doing that, making those comments about smiling? You know, and, and, and I don't remember if he actually used these words, but he, I will. I put them in his mouth. Don't tell him I said he said this. <clears throat> I just want you to know I have good news for you. I do. I have, I have good news for you. You're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. See, that, 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 the whole tone of that, the whole countenance of that, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying be a, you know, a Disney character, although some of the Disney characters are okay. Jiminy Cricket, I love Jiminy Cricket. It's the encyclopedia, E-N-C-Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A. I learned how to spell encyclopedia. I'm a lousy speller. Gene, I, I yell from all ends of the house, Gene, how do you spell soap? But I can spell encyclopedia because of Jiminy Cricket. Don't tell me songs aren't, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't tell me that. They don't grab you. Okay, I've digressed. The point is, get on with your life in terms of how you want to measure sacred stuff related to the presence of the Lord at work in you and through you. And to the degree that you're willing to do that, as he puts stuff in your path, like Advent, just determine whether it can be a resource in your life to get you where you need to go, further than you are. It's not just enough to say, Lord, I want to go to the next level. I need a breakthrough. You understand to get a breakthrough, you actually have to do something. I don't mean in your flesh. I don't mean work it up in your flesh. You have, it, the very least you have to do is avail yourself to the breakthrough that comes through the Holy Ghost. A lot of us miss breakthroughs because we're just not yielded. We're saved, but we're not yielded. Oh, I shouldn't be preaching. I, I should quit. Um, on the bottom of your sheet, there's a, uh, a, uh, a um, link to, like, it's like a two- or three-page article that gives you an overview of what I'm talking about in terms of the Christian year. And then the two books by Walter Wangren are really excellent books. Um, one is about the season we're in now, and the other book is called um, Reliving the Passion, and it's about uh, Holy Week. It's moving into that whole time. And they're really excellent books, and they're, they're relatively inexpensive. They're, they're actually written like devotional books. Um, and since Advent just started, you, can, you, know, you could catch it halfway through, and you know, you'd be ahead for next year. And Reliving the Passion, you're way ahead. You can get to it before we ever get to Lent. So there you go. You've been terrific to be with. I appreciate you bearing with me. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness in the land of the living. We thank you that we have the opportunity to not only call you Jesus, but to be known of you and be accepted into the beloved. I ask you, Father, to work supernaturally through the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost over our lives. Conform us to the image of your dear Son, our blessed Savior. Sanctify all that unrighteous garbage out of our lives, oh God. 
may we be fortified for warriorhood in your kingdom. <clears throat> Protect my brothers and sisters as they go home tonight. Your word says you give to be your beloved even in sleep. Father, I just ask you to bless them supernaturally. Op open, the <laughs> open up the ceiling in their, uh, their slumber chambers tonight and just pour down into their lives for your kingdom's sake that Jesus might be honored. Good night.